0: We've been talking about faith breakers. What is a faith breaker? It is when something happens to you, you see something or something comes your way, some circumstance happens that rattles your faith. It makes you stumble. You don't know how to deal with it. It, it, it makes you question. It makes you ask questions that, that maybe have a little bit of doubt. Now, let me tell you something about God. God will answer Your doubt. God never turns away an honest doubter or an honest seeker. But there are things that happen in our lives that don't make sense in the natural, and when we look at them, we go, How did that happen? And where was God? And and how in the world can I can I jive this with my faith? And it's called a faith breaker. And some people experience faith breakers and they walk away from the church and they walk away from prayer. They walk away from Christianity become a Buddhist or something. Other people go through faith breakers and they come out on the other side with the faith breaker having been made a faith maker. And that's where I want to take you. That's why I've been ministering on this for three weeks. And today I want to close out this series talking about a major faith breaker. And that is when life's not fair. When life's not fair. Now I'm going to read to you out of Genesis 37, 23 to 24. And then verse 28. And we're going to look at one of my absolute all-time favorite Bible characters, Joseph. Who experienced more unfairness in his life than almost anybody in the Bible. And let's just read uh, just a couple of uh, verses that give us an idea of what he went through. It says, when Joseph came to his brothers... They tore off his coat, the coat of many colors that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and they had no water in it. So this was an abandoned well. Verse 28, some Midianite traders were passing by, so the brothers, his brothers, his bros, pulled Joseph up out of the abandoned well, And they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt as a slave. Now, Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, there are people in here grappling with something that has happened, unfairnesses, when life hasn't made sense, when God hasn't made sense. And, Lord, I pray that this faith-breaker will become a faith-maker. I literally pray that. I pray you will minister to us. That you will build our faith, increase our hope, help us to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. And thank you for helping us to not faint, but to move forward in our journey with you. Now, would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to help you today. This is going to help you today. Amen. Now, life is often unfair. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but life is often unfair, and it doesn't matter if you're a child of God or not, in that unfairnesses happen to God's children all the time. What looks like unfairnesses, and what are in fact unfairnesses, life is often unfair. Some examples, somebody gets the job you should have gotten just because of who they knew. And you know they got it just because of who they knew. And you didn't get it, though you deserved it. Or you've gone through a divorce, and the spouse that so badly wronged you in the marriage has successfully also turned the kids against you. Life's not fair. Three of you were speeding down the highway, and the police pulled you over and let the other ones go. And you're wondering, well, they were going faster than me. Why'd you pull me over? This isn't... Now, I don't think anybody but Jesus Christ himself experienced more unfairness in, in the Bible than Joseph. Now, yet we're going to see today what one commentator wrote about Joseph. Listen to this. Good stuff. He says, the story of Joseph gives us the clearest evidence of the providence of God conducting all things with amazing and stupendous wisdom and making them work together for good to those that love him. And causing even the wickedness of men to become subservient to the accomplishment of God's designs. That's Joseph. Now, in case you're a newbie and you don't know the story of Joseph, let me give you a quick scan of his life. Joseph was the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. Now, Jacob had many children with Leah, but Rachel, who he really loved, he had two sons by her. The first one was Joseph, and that made Joseph a favorite to his dad. And so out of favoritism, Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors, a really sharp coat of splendid colors, which he did not do for his other sons. Big mistake. Favoritism is always a mistake. If you love one of your kids more than the others, don't ever let anybody know and learn how to love the other ones, because favoritism will wreak havoc on a family. He was the favored son because he was the favored son. He fell into disfavor with his other brothers, and there were 11 of them. Because Jacob's sons gave us the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. Now, to add to his brother's dislike of him, Joseph unwisely told him about two dreams he had. He said, hey, guys, let me tell you about two dreams I had. In both of those dreams, I saw all of you bowing down to me. What about that? (laughs) <laughs> and needless to say, that did not bless his brothers, and it wouldn't bless me if I'd have been one of them either. He said, "Yeah, you were bound down to me, and not only you, but Dad and Mom were bound down to me." We're told his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Genesis thirty-seven four. We're told in verse eleven that his brothers envied him. So filled with envy and hatred they hatched a plan to seize him when he came out to visit them when they were watching their flocks way out into the fields in the wilderness. They hatched a plan. And when he arrived, they grabbed him. They tore off that coat of many colors because they resented that coat. They said, Dad's going to favor you. We'll show you. We'll take the coat away. When God blesses you, somebody's always looking to strip that blessing away. Now, They threw him into a narrow empty well, which gives me the creeps just reading about it. I got a little bit of claustrophobia. You drop me into a narrow abandoned well, and I'm in trouble. I'm digging my way out. If I can't go up, I'm going down through China. Because of Judah, they didn't kill him. And some Ishmaelite Ishmaelite slave traders came by. They said, there's what we do. We'll pull him out of the well and we'll sell him. So they pulled him out of this abandoned well. Now, you've got to think now, Joseph was 17. So here he is. His brothers are throwing him down into here. He's probably yelling, all right, guys, this isn't funny. Let me out. All right, I get it. You don't like me. Let me out. But the Bible says when they threw him in the well, they sat down and had a sack lunch. Their hearts were hardened by hatred and resentment. So when they did pull him out, now you've got a 17-year-old kid. He's freaked out. He can't imagine what's going on. He has no idea the magnitude of the hatred they have towards him. So they take him and they walk him over to these Ishmaelite slave traders and they say, how much? Now here's Joseph standing there. Put yourself in his sandals. He's standing there, this little guy, this little teenager, And he hears the brothers bargaining for his life. And so finally they settle on 20 pieces of silver, which was 10 less than normal. So they sold him for cheap. He can't believe that the Ishmaelite traders then take him, put him into a little cage in the back of this caravan. And the last thing he sees of his brothers are their stone, cold faces watching him carried away into a foreign land with a foreign language, ripped from his daddy, ripped from his house, ripped from his brothers, ripped from his familiar surroundings. And he's crying out, is this a joke? Is this a joke? They say nothing. They hatch a plan. These guys are cold. They hatch a plan. They take his coat of many colors, they kill an animal, they pour the blood on it. There was no DNA back then, no way to tell what kind of blood it was. And they took it to Daddy Jacob and said, wild animals tore him apart. They allowed Daddy Jacob to live for years with the belief that his precious beloved son had been killed the terrible death of being ripped apart by wild animals. Allowed him to believe this and go to night weeping over it. That's the power and the deadly venom of hatred. Now, once he was on the auction block, here come some Egyptians and they start giving prices for him, bidding for him. You got a bidding war going on for this, this good looking 17 year old boy who speaks Hebrew, not Egyptian. He was purchased finally by a man named Potiphar. Who was an officer of pharaoh the ruler of egypt who probably no doubt had enough money to outbid everybody else and he was taken into pharaoh's house and made a slave in pharaoh's household catch this now he's ripped away from family and home and made a slave in his family's or in potiphar's household now the bible tells us clearly that joseph was handsome And it wasn't long before Potiphar's wife began to cast her eyes on him. Day after day, she hit on him. The Bible's clear about this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Day after day, she hit on him. Day after day, she tried to seduce him. One day, she literally grabbed his garment, and he fled and maintained his integrity. When she grabbed him, she said, lie with me. He translated, have sex with me. Commit adultery with me. And Joseph fled, said, no way I could do this to my boss and no way I could do this to God. But the spurned woman decided to exact revenge on him. She accused him of trying to rape her. And so whether or not husband Potiphar, and I kind of doubt that he believed her, but whether or not he believed her, he took Joseph and he threw him into prison for something he did not do. We know that Joseph spent. A combined total of 13 years as a slave in Potiphar's house plus the time he spent in prison. So for 13 years, this young boy went from 17 to 30 in captivity for something he never did anything wrong. He never did anything evil. He never did anything wicked. And yet, wicked people, lying people, deceitful people have wronged him time after time after time. Everybody say unfair. Now also during his imprisonment, Pharaoh's chief baker and butler were thrown into prison with Joseph. And they both had dreams that Joseph interpreted for them as a favor, as a kindness. And when the chief butler and baker were released from prison, listen to these words of Joseph, it'll touch you. He said to them as they were being released, but he wasn't. He said, please have some pity on me when you're back in Pharaoh's favor and mention me to him, and ask him to let me out of here. Please have pity on me. Guys, I was good to you. You be good to me. But the Bible says the chief baker promptly forgot all about Joseph, never giving him a thought. Everybody say unfair. Unfair. Now, up to this point, let's be honest. Joseph's life has consisted of one unfairness after another, one betrayal after another, one heartbreak, After another, one letdown after another, one setback after another, one disappointment after another, after another, after another. Betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery, lied about by his boss's wife, thrown into prison for something he didn't do, forgotten by people he'd been good to. If I'm sitting down with Joseph during that time and we're having a little talk and he tells me his story, my natural response is going to go, man, where's your God? Where's your God, Joseph? How have all these things gone down in your life? Where's your God? And how do you still have faith? Because one would think that whatever faith he'd had in God was destroyed by now, or at best shaken by its roots, but it wasn't. And I want you to keep in mind something, church. Joseph had no Bible. Moses was still centuries away. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So he had no Bible. He didn't have any Bible promises, no Bible to open up and receive faith and receive encouragement and receive hope. He had no Bible. He had no Jesus. He had no teaching of Jesus about forgiveness or trusting God or God taking care of you, none of that. He had no infilling of the Holy Spirit. He had no church to turn to for support and prayer. Who's he going to go to in Egypt? There's nobody there that knew the God of his father's. They were all pagans. Nobody was there to help him. He's all by himself. No Bible, no Jesus, no nothing. All that Joseph had was the teaching of his father, Jacob, for the first 17 years of his life. And two dreams regarding his future, God had given him. And he knew that they were from God. He knew the dreams came from God. And what he knew about God? He knew, about, he knew from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's it. Yet he managed, folks, to remain completely free of bitterness, and his faith in God was totally intact. So how did these gut-wrenching events happen to him without it becoming a faith-breaker? How? The answer is given at the end of Joseph's story in a statement that he made to his brothers. His brothers come up to him. Daddy Jacob finally died. And when Jacob died, his brothers looked at each other and said, Man, we know what we did to him. And now Daddy's not there. And he loves daddy, and now daddy's gone. What's he going to do to us now? He's been waiting for daddy to die so he can take vengeance on us, no doubt about it. So they go to him, and they say, Joseph, hey, we're a little concerned. Uh, We know we kind of did you a little bit wrong back there. uh, You know, selling you into slavery, throwing you into a pit. (laughs) But, hey, are we okay? You and me, we okay, Joe? We okay? Okay. And he makes an amazing statement to them. And this statement is so power-packed and so full of wisdom and so full of truth that this is what I'm going to break down for you today. But look what he said. Genesis 50, verse 20. You should remember that. Genesis fifty, twenty. Joseph said to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Because you see, folks, a great famine was coming to the promised land. And God put Joseph, sent Joseph to Egypt to save grain in granaries. And God had a plan to move the future 12 tribes of Israel to Egypt to save them from starvation so that Israel would be saved and the lineage through which Jesus would come would also be saved. And they used uh, Joseph. God used Joseph. But that was what he means by to save many people alive. Because not only were all the Egyptians saved, but all of the house of Jacob and the future of Israel was saved because God sent him to Egypt. God had a plan. God had a plan. Now let me break down his statement for you. First thing I, I see here is the evil was real. It was real. The evil was real. He said, you meant evil against me. That's a fact. The hurt you caused me was real. The evil you meant against me was real. You know, God never requires us to look at an attack from the enemy and say, well, that's not real. Or I'm just going to deny that or or, or turn my head and or I'm going to confess that it's not there. Listen, when the devil attacks, it's real. Come on, everybody. When the devil attacks, it's real. Joseph admits to his brother, he said, what you intended in your heart of hearts was evil against me. You meant to hurt me. You meant to take me out. You hated me. Let's don't play games, bro. You meant it. But I'd also be shading the truth a little bit. If we didn't note that Joseph brought some of this on himself. Now, you may have never heard this preached, but I'm going to tell you, he brought some of it on himself. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that early on, Joseph had gone out into the fields where his brothers were keeping the flocks and had, quote, brought a bad report of them, his brothers, back to his father. So you know what? Joseph was a little teenage snitch. He was a little teenage snitch. He'd go out there to his brothers. I don't know what they were doing wrong, but they were doing something he didn't think Daddy would approve of. And so he, he'd watch them. And then he went back and said, Hey, Dad, let me tell you what the, what the guys are doing out there in the field. And, 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 and Jacob learned of it. And Jacob apparently approached the brothers about it. And so they looked at Joseph like, You little snitch. And he also unwisely angered them by sharing those two dreams with them. Listen, the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. There, there are some people that can handle what God has told you. And there are some people that can't. And there are some people that you tell them what God has told you about your life. And they're not only going to not believe it or accept it, but they're going to come against you and mock you and ridicule you for it. There's sometimes, listen, the best thing you can say is nothing. And, and, and Joseph didn't know Jesus teaching, don't cast your pearls before swine, because the pearls he had, was God's dreams. I'm going to have you in a position, son, of great authority one day. Those were the dreams. But he made a mistake and went and told his brothers, and it made them hate him even more. So we see in the story of Joseph, not only did God overrule the evil intent of his brothers, but Kessler's everybody, God also overruled and used some of Joseph's own mistakes for his glory. I want you to say he can even use my mistakes. Now I want you to say it's a good thing he can use some of my mistakes because I've made mistakes. Come on, tell the truth. Don't look at me so holy. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. We all do dumb things. We all slip and fall. I read this morning, there is none that does good, no, not one. We have all turned aside. We've all gone our own way. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can say, what are you judging me for? In my whole life, I've never done anything wrong. But the good news is that God can take your wrongs and work them for his glory. Amen. So the first thing we see in the story of Joseph, the evil was real, and Joseph brought some of it on himself. And then second, we see God was ultimately in charge of Joseph's life, and he's in charge of yours. He said, after truthfully admitting to them that they'd had evil intentions against him, Joseph added two words. I love these two words, but God. He said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I love those two words. Let's say them together. But God. See, how many times would the enemy have taken you out? But God moved. How many times have you and I been down for the count, but God stepped in and turned things around? How many times would man have crushed us, but God wouldn't let him do it? But God, but God, but God wouldn't let him do it. I've had people try to destroy me, but God wouldn't let them do it. But God, but God. See, your life can go one way, but if you're a child of God, he steps in. And so many times, so many times, he makes a way where there is no way. So many times he shuts down the evil intent of the devil and men. So many times he sends angels our way. And but God. See, what a miracle that some of you are even in church today. Because Satan had you in a corner. Your circumstances were more than you could stand. Nobody thought you were going to survive it. But God. But God. acting on your behalf and turned it around that's why you're here smiling today looking pretty and handsome because god pulled you up out of a horrible pit he pulled you out of the miry clay he set your feet i think i'm going to preach today he set your feet on a rock He set your feet on a rock, and his name is Jesus. And he established your goings, and he has put a new song in your mouth, even praise to our God. Many are seeing it and are going to fear the Lord because of the testimony of your life. But God. But God. Let's all try it again one more time. One, two, three. But God. Let me get my composure back. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God was behind the evil of Joseph's brothers. Let's be clear. Because the Bible says this about God. God is good and does only good. Psalms 119:68. 68. There it is. James said, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. So I'm not saying he was behind the evil of Joseph's brothers. But here's what I am saying. He does work through the evil of men to bring about his purpose for us no matter what man does. It is always God who says, checkmate, never the devil. He always wins in the end, never the devil. One of the greatest evidences that we really trust God is is when we refuse to harbor bitterness against people who have wronged us. You know why? Because when you've got a hold of the bigger picture and you understand God's in charge, you understand what Joseph did. My brothers are just a tool to get me where I need to be. My brothers are just a tool to get me where I need to be. I'm supposed to be in Egypt, and he used them to get me into Egypt. See, they thought they were committing evil against him and taking vengeance, but God looked down and said, no, 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 you're just working out my plan. I want him in Egypt. I'm just going to use you to get him there. Even the psalmist said, God sent Joseph into Egypt. Now, if you'd been around in that day and looked at what his brothers did, you would have said, no, 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 God didn't do it. His brothers did it. No, the brothers didn't do it. God did it. God sent Joseph into Egypt. He just used his brothers as a tool. Amen. The devil's a dog on a leash. And God's holding the other end of the leash. Whether or not it looks like it, it's true. And, you know, not only did Joseph survive unfairness by by understanding that God was in charge of his life, but so did Jesus, our Lord Jesus. Listen to what Peter said. Speaking of Jesus, he said when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Every time man did him wrong, Jesus didn't take vengeance. He just said, God, I trust you. You're in charge. I trust you with my life. You're in charge. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, Jesus When they took him through kangaroo court and accused him of things he'd never done and took him out and whipped his back and beat him until he was unrecognizable and hung him on that cross, Jesus was knowing they mean evil against me, but God means it for good to save many people alive. Everybody say God's in charge. Now say, God's in charge of me. You ready? God's in charge of me. Joseph trusted God's providence and saw his brothers as simply the tool God used to get him into Egypt where he could save many people alive. Jesus trusted God and saw God using the Romans as a tool and the Jews as a tool to get him onto that cross where he could die for the sins of mankind. So the evil was real. God overruled it, and finally, even without a Bible, Joseph understood what the Bible would one day teach us. Now, listen carefully to this. God upholds and sustains and governs everything. Now, if you don't agree with that, you're disagreeing with the Bible because the Bible says, listen, let me let me let God speak for himself. Isaiah 46. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Now, watch this. He says, You want to know how I'm God? Declaring the end before the beginning begins. I changed it just a little bit. But declaring the end from the beginning. I know how something's going to end before the beginning starts. Because I'm God, and nobody else can do that. That's why he said, there's, I'm God, and there ain't anybody like me. Because I can tell you how something is going to end, what the finish of it is going to be, before it even starts out of the gate. He knows how you're going to end before you begin. I want you to catch this. When you were born, God said, I know how they're going to end before they even begin, before they take their first step. I know what their dying day looks like. I know how they're going to live. I know whether or not they're going to come to me. I know their DNA and their genetic makeup. I know how I've formed them and shaped them and molded them. And regarding you that are saved here today, he knew you would be in church today. He's not surprised. He never says, well, I'll be. Oh, I love this. Now watch this. He's going to close this out. He says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all, everybody say all, all my purpose. So when men plot evil against you, God is still ultimately in charge. Listen to what the Proverbs say. There are many plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's plan that will stand. Amen. I like the way the Living Bible puts it. Man proposes, but God disposes. Man can propose a lot of things. I'm going to take him out. I, I'm going to ruin them. I'm going to attack them. I'm, I, I'm going to give them trouble, but, but, but God disposes. God's plan comes to pass in the end, and he shuts devils and men down all the time. So the faith-breaker of life's unfairness becomes a faith-maker when we trust all the details of our lives are safely in his hands. And Joseph knew that. This is what Joseph knew. And this is what carried him through Potiphar's house, through the prison, through the betrayals, through the lies, through the setbacks. He said, that's all right. Man proposes, God disposes. I'm going to come out on the other side. He's going to work this together. For, he 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 didn't know Romans 8.28, but he could have written Romans 8.28. He said, because I know my God's going to work this together for good. And those dreams I had are solid because they're the word of God. I'm going to be in a place of great authority one day. And one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh couldn't find anybody in his kingdom to interpret the dream. And so somebody said, well, actually, it was the, the baker, remembered. That Joseph had interpreted his dream. The baker said, hey, there's somebody down in the prison. He interpreted my dream and he was accurate. Pharaoh said, bring him out. And in one day, Joseph was taken from pit to pinnacle, from pit to glory, because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh said, is there anybody like this in my entire kingdom? Bring a robe for him. He got his robe back. Amen bring a robe for him, put a ring on his finger. And there is nobody greater than me in all of Egypt, but Joseph is second to me. And when he comes down the street, I want you to bow, dream fulfilled. And his brothers, sure enough, were flushed out of the promised land and brought into Egypt. He toyed with them for a little while. But, 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 but when they realized who he was, they all bowed down to him and asked for mercy, dream fulfilled. And he ruled over all of Egypt with great authority, dream fulfilled. And he saved Israel from extinction and the lineage of Christ from being starved. Can we stand together today? Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, is God that real with me? Oh, listen, you're a child of God through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. You are engraved on the palm of his hands. And he's already blocked some evil stuff from happening to you you don't even know about. And he's not going to let you know, because if he let you know all the times he has saved you and preserved you, you would faint on the spot and never go outside again. He's in charge. Amen. Amen. Father, we just come to you and thank you for this incredible message that when life's not fair, God is good. Can We say that together, church, when life's not fair, God is good. Now, Father, we just come to you with the unfairnesses. I want you, church, some of you have been wronged by a boss, wronged by a spouse, wronged by... A friend wronged by somebody, or you've experienced some kind of an unfairness. It really is unfair, but I want you to know God sees it. And God has a plan. So can you just give to Him today the unfairnesses that have come your way and say, God, I trust you to work out your plan. And that you're in charge in the name of Jesus. Lift your hands to him. I sense his presence here in such a beautiful way. Some of you have been hurt. Your heart is hurt. Your soul was damaged, wounded by somebody wronging you. It was so unfair. But the great surgeon, Jesus, the physician, wants to reach in and heal your heart, your soul. I want you to say, Lord, I forgive who was involved. And like Joseph, I receive your hope that a plan is working out. Now, there might be somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus. You know, I was saved in jail as a 16-year-old boy. I didn't know Jesus. I just didn't know him at all. But he touched me in jail and saved my life, saved my soul. He's the reason I'm standing up here today preaching and teaching the word of God. And wherever you are, whatever has happened to you, whatever life has brought your way, Whatever you've done, listen, he can forgive you on the spot and will. And he'll come into your heart and he'll change your life. And I'm going to say a simple prayer. And you know what? Standing right where you are, you can say, Jesus, come into my heart. He'll save you right now, today. You came to church not knowing him, you'll leave a child of God. Because he's as near as a prayer, so I'm going to pray this prayer. Just go ahead. You can pray it. I'd never prayed in my life when I prayed in jail to receive Christ, but he heard that first prayer. Now pray with me and just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord. And I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead. Come into my heart, Jesus, from this moment forward and fill me with your spirit standing in this sanctuary today. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed, say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. I just want you to raise your hand and say, I prayed it with you. Raise your hand. I see you and you. God bless you. Several in this house today. God bless you. What a beautiful sight to see people say, I received Christ here today. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. As soon as I dismiss, and I'm going to in about two minutes or less, I want you, would you please come down this way and say, Jeff, I prayed with you and I want to pray with you again. And I want to give you something very important to take home with you. All right. So everybody else is going out back, leaving through those doors. You come this way. If you're with somebody, they'll wait for you. All right, everybody look up now. um, How many of you are glad you came to church today? Amen.